Good morning, friends. It is so lovely to be with you. So after I sent my title for this sermon to Jill, I had, I had follow-up thoughts. <laughs> One was like, oh, I think I just preached to them about rest a few months ago. So I guess I needed to hear it again. Um, and the other one was, huh, is rest a verb or a noun in this title? Is this just rest, as in don't do something, just rest, rest, the verb rest? Or is it rest as a noun and just is an adjective? So what would the intersection of justice and rest look like? And there are some people thinking some things about that that I really want to share with you. I'm really excited to share with you. Um, so rest is something, even in a world that got kind of shut down, <laughs> a lot of us still don't have enough rest. We, we may be, um, a lot of people thought, oh great, we're going to shut down for you know a month or two. And we'll get caught up on rest and bake a lot of bread and it'll, talk to our neighbors, it'll be great. Um, and as that went on and didn't resolve the way we expected, uh, we found new ways to get busy. While we were separate from each other, we, a lot of us had to pick up new tech skills and learn how to do everything on Zoom and by email and electronic channels. And um, some of us were very busy out in the world meeting the needs of people who were trying to stay home more and all of us were trying to figure out new things all the time, process new information. And um, I don't know, personally I didn't find the pandemic season very restful. Um, I don't know, that could be just me. But um, rest is a thing that has just been hard for me. I think it's hard for us. I think that's a, it's a, and it's, I think partly that's American culture. I think we are deeply rooted in a couple of things. Um, some of them are the economic structures and ideas about what is worthwhile and what keeps the world afloat, and that seems to be about making profit, accumulating wealth, uh, extracting all the things that can be used to accumulate profit by making wealth from whatever sources you have available to you. So, um, and, and about productivity. Um, some of part of our culture comes from our New England ancestors um, and that, that famous Puritan work ethic, this idea that you're more valuable, more worthy if you work hard than if you're idle. They had their famous uh, devil, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Don't, don't be idle. You need to at least be making a nice sampler while you're sitting still in that chair. Um, so we tend uh, to fill up our time and to think filling up our time is virtuous. And the more things we can cram in, the more meetings we can go to, the more uh, chores we can get done around the house. I'll have to admit that's never been <laughs> not my thing. Um, and I'll just say that right up front. Here's a book I found. I love this book. It's entitled How to Keep House While Drowning. She says, and I can use this example because I actually don't do this, but it's okay if all your clean laundry lives in a pile somewhere. <laughs> That's okay. It doesn't make you less of a human being, worthy of, of uh, 
dignity. Um, so, uh, we, um, we put ourselves in a bind. So I've recently read most of a book, in, which you may have heard of. It's written by Oliver Berkman, and the title is 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And part of what he's arguing or trying to persuade us to think about is that time management is, it's all that there is because time is all we have. That title, 4,000 weeks, he's decided that's a good round number for how long each of us has here during life. Now, of course, some of us have less than 4,000 weeks and some of us have more than 4,000 weeks, but over the long range, that's approximately average human lifespan. So we have 4,000 weeks. And what do we do with these 4,000 weeks? So he, he says in this book both that time management is all that there is, and also productivity thinking, which is what most of us go straight to when we think about time management, is a trap. It sets us up to fail over and over again because it's kind of based on ignoring the fact that we only have 4,000 weeks, that we are limited. He's over and over again. He goes through, I don't know, 18, 20 chapters, uh, looking at slight, slightly different angles, at ways in which we human beings just fail to come to terms with what is about life, and that is being limited, that, that that's just a feature of the human experience. I'm only one person. I can't do all things. I can't fix all problems. I can't be all the places I want to be. I cannot be in relationship with everybody I want to be in relationship with. I cannot do all the things I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm accustomed to people talking to me and, and you know, coach type voices in the culture and around me. Kind of going, well, the, you know, the key thing is you have to figure out what you want to do and don't do the things you don't want to do. Right? Anybody? Have you all heard this, right? Well, Berkman says we actually have to get okay with not doing the things we want to do because we can't do all of those either. And we, when we fall into the productivity trap, we end up spending all our time and energy trying to clear the decks. And we might get them clear for a little bit, we might, but it gets filled up really fast again. We, we just, we cannot. We cannot do everything. So it is true that we need rest. I'm just going to, you might disagree with that. Um, I can't imagine why, but you might. But I, I'm going to just assume that that is true, that if you take a human being, you know, sleep deprivation is like the classic form of torture. You, we just don't function well as human beings if we don't rest. So we need rest. And sleeping, of course, is, there's sleeping. And oh yeah, we could talk forever about sleep. Lots of us do. And we worry about it. And we get, we read lots of advice columns on all of that. I'm going to just, for the purposes of this sermon only, let's just assume we're not talking about sleep. That sleep is a basic thing. And somehow, magically, we're all getting more or less enough of that. <laughs> I'm going to argue that we still need rest while we're awake. In the waking parts of our lives, we need a chance to stop, to not always be doing things and reaching for things and working on goals. 
Berkman says, the world is bursting with wonder, and yet it's the rare productivity guru who seems to have considered the possibility that the ultimate point of all of our frenetic doing might be to experience more of that wonder. So this is, and this is part of that, that trap of productivity. We get caught up in the doing and the fixing and the performing and living up to standards, many of which we have imposed on ourselves. Um, and we don't stop to see the world. You know, to, this morning I watched a squirrel jump from one trunk to another branch that was kind of far away, you know, <laughs> and skitter on up the branch. And, and I just stopped and said, so I, I need to just notice this. And huh, what must it feel like to be running up that branch? So I, I, I never get to feel what it feels like to jump from, from one place to another and then run up a branch. But maybe it's kind of like what, huh, when I was a kid, I had, I had those skates. I don't, I don't even know if they make anything like this anymore that strapped on. They were metal and clunky, and they strapped onto the bottom of my, and my tennis shoes. And we would skate on the, um, the sidewalk, click on, click on, click on, click on, because the sidewalk was paved in chunks, like, you know, yay big. Um, and maybe that's kind of like being a squirrel. But I don't know. I just, you know, wondered. But, there is nothing in any, any time management book I've ever read that suggests I should spend three minutes on that project. And yet, that was kind of fun. And it got me through a couple of minutes of my sermon. So I guess it's productive even, right? So Berkman suggests that uh, our strategy, and I'm, I'm quoting again from him, our strategy to stay on top of everything may serve someone's interests working longer hours and using any extra income to buy more consumer goods turns us into better cogs in the economic machine, but it doesn't result in peace of mind or lead us to spend more of our finite time on those people and things we care most deeply about ourselves. So the working to work, and he builds a pretty uh, convincing case to my mind that once you sort of take up that work is important and work is good and work is where salvation lies and work is how what we have to do to get what we want um, or what is best for us or to fix the world's problems it's work it tends to just build up it takes it, it expands to fill all available space which turns out at the end of the day to be our entire lives our entire attention span our, our very breath, and it robs us from being truly connected to each other. I love, somebody said you made t-shirts that say joyfully connected. I love that. I love that. You know, what if, what if that's what our time is for, is to be joyfully connected to each other, to the world, to the squirrels skittering on the branches? You know, maybe Maybe that's what we're here for, as much as anything else. <coughs> Excuse me. So Berkman says that there is an alternative to this productivity trap. And he says that's the unfashionable but powerful notion of letting time use you. Instead of focusing on how we use time, 
or how I use time, to let time use you, approaching life not as an, e an opportunity to implement your predetermined plans for success, but as a matter of responding to the needs of your place and your moment in history. Give up the idea of trying to fit everything in. And he keeps saying over and over again, if you just give up this fighting against limitations, if we just say, I can't fit it all in, I will never fit it all in. I will never. When I was a kid, I loved reading books. And at some point, I probably did think, you know, I had all these years in front of me, a lifetime, I could actually read all the good books. And at then some point, pretty soon after that, I realized I wasn't ever going to read all the books. You know, ah, I can't get to all the good books, you know. And I guess eventually I just decided, well, there won't be any excuse for being bored. And it's interesting to me that now I still sometimes finish bad books. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could put it down and pick up some, something I'm going to like better. Um, that's, I don't know, some other optimistic part of me that every, everything's redeemable. Even a bad book might have something really good at the end of it, right? Um, but what if we just gave up? Which is what I did about the books. I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to read all the books. I won't know all the things. I won't ever study physics at any high level, even though I really, really would like to. Or architecture, or, 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 or. You know. And my children aren't going to do all the things that I missed either. <laughs> You know, they're, they're just going off on their own ways. So we're just going to miss things. We're going to miss things. There are going to be things I want to do that I can't do. And um, I don't know when I'm going to skip that. Um, there's, a, there's an undodgeable reality, Berkman calls it, of the fact that a finite human life means you have to choose. You have to choose. You just do. You learn to say no to things you want to do because you know you only have one life. So you do the thing. You pick the things that are in front of you that are unfolding that make the most sense right now. And he questions whether we need to justify our life in terms of the economy, which is something we're very good at doing. You know, we, we often advise our young people to pick college majors based on job prospects. And that's not necessarily bad advice, but there might be other things to think about, too. Um, and he says, to rest for the sake of rest, to enjoy a lazy hour for its own sake, entails first accepting the fact that this is it, that your days aren't progressing toward a future state of perfectly invulnerable happiness, and that to approach them with such an assumption is systematically to drain our 4,000 weeks of their value. And still, resting is going to feel uncomfortable to us because there are all these cultural voices and pressures and reluctance to admit that we're going to die. All of that works to make it uncomfortable for us to just stop for a moment, to just be. And yet, he, he argues that that's the only way we truly do justice to the gift that these 4,000 weeks is to us. And it's a gift we all have. Now, so rest. Rest, I'm pretty well convinced by Berkman's book that rest is important to me personally. But has anybody here heard of the NAP ministry? 
Brian has. Okay. It is awesome. It is amazing. There is this woman. Her name is Trisha Hersey, and she is a theologian and a performance artist, and she calls herself the Nap Bishop. And she started having these gatherings, mostly for women of color, to nap together, collective napping. And she does this as an act of resistance to the systems of our world. It's a, it, it is resistance to capitalism and white supremacy culture. They, the, these are people, your people of color and other, other people of less privilege have systematically been denied the opportunities and permission and the resources for the kind of rest that some people just take for granted. So to claim that rest, to show up and take a nap, to do it with other people, um, carries a certain amount of weight. And it gets, apparently it's very popular. On, so there's an Instagram account and, and all of this. Um, and man, it just looks like fun. Uh, and I, I started thinking, I was reading some of, some of her, her um, there's a, a blog that goes with this movement. Um, and thinking, I'm not, okay, so I have a really hard time napping. There are days when I know I should nap. And then I think I'll do it as soon as, this is such a trap, and I do it all the time. All, all, all the time. I say, I will do that. I will take that nap that I know I need when I finish processing my inbox, my email inbox. Now, this is really not very clever <laughs> because, of course, I don't get through the inbox because I'm deleting, I'm deleting, I'm deleting, I'm deleting, I'm deleting. Meanwhile, more are coming in at the top. And I don't go take my nap because I have to go see if anything important came in up at the top. So I don't get my nap. And then I'm less and less effective as a person, and less and less nice to be around as a person as the day gets later and later. And now it's too late to take a nap, because if I take a nap now, it'll mess up my sleep overnight, which I assume I'm getting, but am not always. <laughs> so and I'm thinking, OK, so what is this? And I'm reading Berkman, and I'm going, oh, this is, I think, if I just somehow managed to get everything, if I, just man if I just managed to get that inbox empty, then, I don't know, things will fall into place, right? <laughs> it's really, yeah, our brains do really funny things. I'm sure your brains have their own things that, that you're doing and acting on that, maybe not, maybe y'all are um, less deluded than I am. <laughs> Quite possible. Um, so I'm thinking when I, when I read these stories about women who get together and nap and call that work for justice, I mean, that's what resistance is. When you resist unjust systems, you are, you're working for justice. Um, they're in their napping and I'm thinking, hmm, am I ever sorry when I wake up from a good nap? I am not. I am not ever sorry. Now, occasionally, I have forgotten something that I needed to wake up for. And then I'm sorry that I missed that thing. But I'm not exactly sorry if I needed the sleep and I took it. Or I needed to, even if I don't sleep, if I lie down for a while, it helps a lot. I'm a lot nicer person. I can get more things done for the rest of the day. So 
I like this. Um, she has a, um, Trisha Hersey has a book coming out next month called Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. And I can't wait. I'm going to get that book. I'm going to read that book. Um, she also talks about rest as reparations, which I like a lot, because we think about a, a reparations in terms of uh, money and property uh, in economic terms. But rest is, um, it's a rest as reparations is a reclaiming by this group of their humanness, really, which is, when they do that, they show me, and this is again something Berkman argues, when we, when we buy into this productivity and filling up our time and using our time the best way we can, when we, do, when we work in that mentality, we treat ourselves as if we're not human, as if we are machines, if we are cogs in machines. Um, and for those of us who come from relative places of privilege, that is less acutely true than it is for people of color, for instance. It, African, African people brought against their will to this country to work for other people's profit, for example. They were treated much more like cogs in a wheel than my ancestors who worked in steel plants, for instance, even though both <laughs> suffered at the hands of sort of this economic engine that treats time as unit of of units of productivity, you know, we've all, well, I don't know if we've all in this room worked hourly wage jobs, but there's that sort of, oh, here's one hour of your time is worth X number of dollars, and it's like, that's just kind of, hmm. We all are glad to get out of those jobs often. Um, so to take, a, to take a nap, to rest, to listen to the needs of our bodies is to say we are sacred. Our bodies are sacred. Um, Trisha Hersey says, we believe our bodies are portals. They are sites of liberation, knowledge, and invention that are waiting to be reclaimed and awakened by the beautiful interruptions of brutal systems that sleep and dreaming provide. I really kind of like. I was, I'm starting to read another book. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but um, by, um, David Cadavi called Mind Management, Not Time Management, Productivity When Creativity Matters. So it's more about creativity, and he does use the language of, of productivity and managing your time more than these other people do. Um, but he does talk about how creativity, which is very different from like making screws in a factory, requires different styles of thinking. It needs to be both divergent thinking and convergent. You need to, you know, squirrel and what are all the, you know, like when I, when I start with a squirrel and I end up with my roller skates when I was 10, that's divergent thinking. <laughs> um, and, but, but to be creative, you've got to do that divergent thinking and then somehow these things end up in a sermon together. That's very roughly. But, but that kind of thinking, the divergent thinking and convergent, happens best when we're just coming out of sleep, oddly. If you think about it, if you had, you know, a lot of times I'll wake up right after a dream and I'll go, oh, yeah, I need to call that person because somebody has literally popped up in a dream. Um, or, you know, whatever, we, we get, we're just, we're in a different mind space when we've been asleep or when we have paused to rest. And that 
creates things that are of value in the world in a way that detailed to-do lists and, and trying to squeeze as much as possible into every hour, every moment of every day, um, does not allow for. Um, to rest makes space for liberation and invention and creativity and dreaming of a new world. I like, sometimes it feels like you use, we, we try to put that, create a new world on the to-do list, you know? <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Anybody resonate with that? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe sometimes we should just rest. Another really interesting idea I ran across, and I think it was in Berkman's book, but I'm not sure. People used to have a lot more communal opportunities to rest. People were on the same schedules until the Industrial Revolution. People worked the same schedules. And now we often work really different schedules, and so we don't it's hard to schedule Thanksgiving dinner, you know, let alone weekly seeing people on for Sunday afternoon or whatever. Kudos to you all for being here. This is one of the ways people who do church on Sunday morning or synagogue on Friday evenings, um, they carve out time to be together. And I think a lot of us keep doing it because I really like seeing Kitty and Frank and Allison and, you know, I'm, and all of you. <laughs> um, but we, so we, we carve out the time to be here, just to know each other. And it's not about, oh, we're going to do a thing today. We're going to do worship. We are going to be with each other and we know each other in a, in a different way. And we rest together. That's what Sabbath is often. We, we rest together. And in our culture now, the way the world works now, we often don't have opportunities to do that that people in previous centuries did have almost automatically before the 20th century. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that the nap ministry exists. I'm happy to have bumped up against that idea. I wish it was in my city so I could go. Um, but I'm glad people do that because it says, oh, oh, this not just taking a nap, but doing it together and recognizing that it connects our minds and our bodies and our dreams and our waking lives. That's important. And it raises really interesting questions. Like Trisha Hersey, uh, says one of her friends, she quotes one of her friends as saying, how will you be useless to capitalism today? <laughs> now, I don't want to automatically dismiss capitalism because I don't feel like I'm economically sophisticated enough to do that. There are different forms of capitalism. I'm pretty sure the way we do it right now in our day and time is a little warped and twisted. So I'm kind of okay with the current state of capitalism as, as interrelated with white supremacy and systems of oppression and stealing and murdering and you know all those things that are part of how we got to where we are in our capitalism. I'm okay with being useless for some, a lot of that project. So how will you be useless today? Well, you know, lying down to take a nap <laughs> makes you kind of useless. Isn't that interesting? And maybe while I'm napping, I can dream up some other ways to disrupt the system. To, and maybe I'll have more energy. And maybe um, 
I, I will notice when I connect with somebody else who might be a good ally. This is, resting gives us resources we don't have. So I love this, this framework of rest is resistance because we think of resistance as having to be work, having to be a thing on our to-do list. And maybe resting is saying, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna buy that. I, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to look around my life and go, oh, well, maybe the dirt on my floor is a sign of resistance. This is my house. You have never, ever, any of you been in my house, and you probably never will be invited there. <laughs> I am not a housekeeper. But it's a really different thing to look at that as a sign of resistance. I'm spending my time other places. I'm spending my energy other places. Or I'm not doing that because it would make me really resentful that none of the other adults who live in my house help with it. So we just all muddle along. And guess what? We're all still here. We're all still healthy enough. And OK, um, it, it's, it's a better place. And it gives me more energy to do what I need to do or to choose what I am going to do than feeling ashamed. And our culture tries to make us stay ashamed because then they can say, well, here's this thing. And if you come and you work from this hour to that hour following this set of instructions and I will pay you X amount of dollars, that they tell us somehow that makes us more virtuous, which doesn't really add up. But the, the pressure, the social pressure is so strong. So maybe resting is resistance. And maybe resting is how we find wonder in our lives. Um, maybe it's how we come to terms with the fact that all we have is time and it is limited. And so what do we choose to do with it? And we can't do all the things worth doing. We can't even do a tiny fraction of them. But we can do an infinitesimally small fraction of what is in front of us effectively if we've rested enough because if you haven't rested enough, you're going to be cranky while you're doing it. I guarantee it, and you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And then you've got to spend time repairing that or soldiering on just past it and creating trouble downstream somewhere else. But if you're rested, you have a chance of being really able to see what's in front of you and what is needed in the next moment. And that maybe is how we can best resist what in our world does not serve us and the beings we share the world with. So go take a nap. <laughs> Tell me if you're sorry when you wake up. I wanna, I wanna know, but I bet you won't be. So friends, here's to another way, a more restful way perhaps, of thinking about how we can build the world that we dream of. May it be so.